Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. This is Stephen Vaughn, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aaron Mansfield. Hey, guys. How are you doing? And Morgan Moose McClure. <laughs> it's the What's Moose. Up, yep, yep. <laughs> hey, in this episode, we are going to discuss what informs our faith and specifically how this relates to the way that we worship. This is going to be our closing episode in our mini-series on the informants of our faith. So stick around, and we are going to discuss today traditionalism. Well, if we're going to get started this morning, I think we need to clarify what we were just talking about with Morgan being the moose, because everybody's listening to this for the first time, and they have no clue uh, what you know, we're talking about. I'm not about. even really sure. Are you sure what's talking about? Uh, well, he just like called me moose one day, and I This is a nickname that you have, yeah. you have received. This is from Steven. So, from Steven. So yeah, this all started you. back when you first started working here, yeah. and I had to set up an account for her for one of our church applications that we were using, and so I don't know why, but... Her name, Morgan, just reminded me of a moose. moose. And so her username became the moose. <laughs> is the moose. So and she I is the moose. So that's that her title, nickname. So, you know. now. Are you rejecting that as no, the name? No, or no, no. It's just one of that, many. Is that I, embraced? I, I, like, nickname? I embraced it. It's one of my, in my library, I have lots of nicknames. Okay. Now, okay. So. Well, very good. Well, that actually has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But, <laughs> but what we actually, in some sense, I guess maybe it does, because we're talking about tradition and how things come to be and uh, how those things are really. Uh, a part of our life. And so um, we all uh, have been confronted with different types of tradition. To specifically today, we're talking about how has tradition uh, impacted the church? And and so we, we, we see this really in a number of different places. What are some places that you guys have, have seen tradition uh, really work its way into the church? Um, I think a lot of my uh, grandparents' church um, because my grandpa was like the pastor there for 30 years. And so just the way things were done, like the order of service and the music, it just, it kind of just stayed the same as it did for those 30 years. And so when he was not the pastor anymore and things started to change, people were like, oh my gosh, like what's happening? But it was just nothing bad. It's just, you know, it was done different it, than what they've they done it the to. same way for 30 years. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I, my mind instantly goes to like when I was in um, a church when I was growing up, they still wore choir robes. And Choir I think robes. of like objects in worship, you know, did they have them here? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, but like when I think of like back through, like what does tradition look like? It doesn't always look like this, but my mind is instantly drawn to like these objects. And it's like those things that are in the church that it's like, if I move that, it's like the grossest sin that's worse than any sin in the Bible, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's these things that people can I call them sacred cows. To. Yeah, exactly. They're, cows. They're, they're things that, that we've we've grown accustomed to a certain way. We've uh, uh, Maybe they're objects in worship. Maybe there's things uh, that are part of, like you're saying, the order, the liturgy of our service that we've always done it a certain way. And they're um, not bad. No, they're not. not bad they're things. not inerrantly bad yeah. things. That's the thing about them is they're not bad things, but they can become distractions, or they can just become empty because we don't know why we do it. Right. So I always think about uh, a quote that Andy Stanley says in his book, Next Generation Leader. He says that we need to keep in mind that everything we loathe about our current environment or organization was originally somebody's good idea. 
including choir robes, right? So uh, <laughs> choir robes came in to be uh, because there was a somebody's good idea and it solved a problem and it and it um, you know we don't have to go too far down that road, but but mm-hmm. but it was a good idea maybe at one time, and uh, you could argue that maybe yeah, but and, uh, but over time, good ideas, man-made tradition like we were just said a little bit, they go one of two ways. They either become immortalized and idolized and they're like mm-hmm. almost worshiped to the point of like, if you move that, you're not going to be in heaven, you know, or <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm overstating the case, yeah. but that mantra of like, that cannot be changed or they just become ineffective and inadequate. And there's just this dryness to whatever's happening because change hadn't happened in however long and so without change there can Mm. become dryness there can can Mm -hmm. become ineffectiveness and it can just become empty right and you hit the nail on the head when you said change because because that's really kind of what it boils down to it's it's people don't like changes because it Uh, makes us uncomfortable it makes us uncomfortable and yet you can't have any progress without change you can't uh, you can't grow without changing. And um, and so you're right. It's, it's one of those things that we've either idolized or we've immortalized um, uh, certain traditions and certain things. So, so let's jump into Scripture this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 is going to be our anchor text that we're going to be in. Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 7. And so if you're listening, uh, you could turn there in your own Scripture to follow along with us. Um, but what's really happening here in Matthew 15? Who, who can kind of summarize what's going on here? Yeah, so the Pharisees and scribes are coming to Jesus, and this happens all throughout the Gospels, right? Normally with ill intention. <laughs> they either have ill intention or they're trying to, like, get something on Jesus. They always have an ulterior and, motive. They're uh, always hanging around the corner. We, <laughs> we were just going through the Gospel of Mark last year over the last two years on Wednesday night, and we finally completed our series. And, and I was telling the church that it, all throughout the Gospel of Mark, these guys are like, they're just hiding behind the bushes waiting to like jump trapping. Jesus uh, in any type of trap or to make him look like a heretic. And um, and that's what they're doing here. And that's exactly what they're doing here. they're like, yeah. hey, why, why are your disciples not doing the tradition of the elders? Why are they not doing what's been passed down and what, what uh, we believe is the right way to do it? And he basically just calls them out and is like, well, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like, you have idolized your tradition so much that you aren't even close to the heart of God. And he basically just like calls them out and just like cuts right to the chase with them, which is one of the great things about Jesus and one thing that I love <laughs> about his interactions. Yeah, he, he says it there in verse two when, the, when, when really the Pharisees come before Jesus and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? So there's this, this fault they're, they're accusing Jesus of and his disciples that they broke this tradition. And what was the tradition that they were accused of breaking? Hand washing. Hand washing, right? Before they eat. And, before uh, before, yes, they, before eat. they eat. And it had nothing to do with virus or uh, yeah. sickness, right? This was not a cleanliness issue. Just a ritual. Uh, this was a ritual issue. It was a ceremonial cleansing. Uh, and so in verse 3, Jesus answered, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whatever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. That's what he says. For the sake of your tradition, you've made void uh, the word of God. So there's a couple words that I think we need to define early on in our episode today. And that is, what is a tradition? And then what is a commandment? Because Jesus uh, actually addresses both of these here in Matthew 15. So as you think about 
what Jesus is saying there in verse three, he says, why do you break the commandment of God? What would be that? What is the commandment of God that Jesus is referring to? Yeah. So when I think of commandment, I think of in, in our modern day, we would use terms like conviction and preference, I think. And we don't always say command or tradition, but what the point is, commandment is I can go to the Bible and I can turn to a place in scripture and I can see in scripture where God says thou shalt or thou shalt not. It is a command from God to his people. And uh, a tradition would be more of this preferential thing that has happened. And it might be out of good intention, like we just said earlier, right? Most traditions do not start um, empty or idolized or ineffective, right? They start as someone's good idea, like you said. However, we don't always know why. And they can become empty. And so it's this more of a, well, this is a good idea and it's not against scripture, so we'll do it. And then all of a sudden you get down the line like the Pharisees and they're like, well, no, this tradition is actually equal with scripture. They're the same thing. And in fact, we might even hold more to a tradition than we would to scripture. And they had like flipped the tables here of what the They've elevated the wrong thing because the commandment here that Jesus is talking about is is really this divine revelation of truth. Yeah, and he and really God's heart and the command that he repeats throughout, you know, the Old Testament law is be holy for I am holy, you know. And so this this idea of hand washing, you know, it should have been pointing to the fact of consecrate yourselves before the Lord mm. and, you know, set yourselves apart. That way you can draw near to him because God couldn't be near. He can't be near anything that is unholy or, you know, sinful. And so I think one of the worst prophecies to fulfill these Pharisees, the leaders of the law did. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far mm. from me. They worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules. So they'd totally gotten away from the whole point of the command to be holy. It wasn't to sit through these rituals and to just do it and then your heart attitude not change. It was like a posture of humility mm-hmm. and they sure. just yeah. were like, you know. And verse 9 is probably one of the most like condemning verses, I think, that you could read in scripture on this idea. And Jesus is just basically like, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Sure. Yeah. And he's like, hey, look, um, a doctrine is a scriptural belief, a scriptural teaching. And he's like, you're teaching scripture as a man's traditional commandment that you've adopted. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's completely vain. In yeah. vain do they worship me. Your worship is completely vain and empty and just utter insanity. So what was the tradition then? Because Jesus addresses the commandment yes. being God's truth, God's revelation, what was given by God. But then the tradition that he really accuses them of is what? What is what is what what is what does Jesus mean when he says tradition of men? Well he 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 does the hand washing thing is what they come to Jesus about, but then he comes back at them with the idea of this honoring your father and mother. And so which goes the back commandment to the commandment okay. of honor your father and mother, the 10 commandments, which is a scriptural command, right? And it's even mentioned again in the new Testament. Mm-hmm. And so this is a timeless <laughs> command here. Right. And I think Jesus understood that, but he basically comes at them and is like, Hey, you guys have made an out. You didn't really want to honor it the way that it was written. And so you were like, hey, we're just going to make an out here for ourselves and we're going to get out of this easy so we don't have to do things just the exact way. And he's like, you can say one thing, but you're really doing another. Hmm. Yeah. So where they were like, 
yeah, we, we could have used this to help our parents, but this is devoted to God. So that's, that's in a way honoring our father and mother. So that tradition just kind of tore down the whole point of that command. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause they were accusing Jesus of, of not washing hands. And what that means is this type of ceremonial washing that was something that rigid Orthodox Jews did. And and really what the Pharisees were telling Jesus and his disciples, what they were accusing of him, was kind of mingling with these outcasts, mingling with people that weren't purified. And so what they were saying is you weren't seeking to be purified in the way that our tradition has done it. And so because of that, they were trying to make Jesus to be out to be a heretic. Mm-hmm. And 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 so what we have to do is ask the question, I think in Matthew 15, we have to ask the question, where did these traditions come from? Where did the Pharisees get this? Um, why why was this something that they were perpetuating forward as truth? Hmm. So they, I believe, developed it out of the idea of somebody did not want to punish their child the way that Scripture had probably said, and that's why they developed it. And they developed this new tradition out of someone who probably complained and they were like, we don't want to hold exactly the law. Maybe it was one of their own. Maybe it was a Pharisee or a scribe or someone who had a lot of pull. And they said, we're not going to follow through with the way this law reads because this law reads that the person who reviles, who is rebellious, who just completely um, and utterly hates their parents is going to die. And they were like, we're not going to follow through with it. And so I believe that it was probably developed out of some sense of emotionalism, maybe. But it became a tradition because then they're like, oh, well, this is a great out. Um, This is a perfect out for um, if anyone claims this, they don't have to die now. You know, and obviously in the New Testament, there would be a new way of the command mentioned, right, in Ephesians and stuff. And um, this idea of death and obedience was more of an Old Testament command. However, he basically was like, you're calling me out for not doing this. And you're telling me that I'm the outcast, but in a sense, you're the outcast. Well, they were faulting Jesus for following through for a traditional thing, Mm -hmm. whereas Jesus confronts them for a commandment thing that they had failed to do. So he was, so so the tradition though that they were faulting Jesus of of the ceremonial cleansing or this hand washing was really, I think, an oral tradition that maybe has its roots all the way back in, in the law of Moses. Yeah. Can, and, I, can I jump in here yeah, really quick yeah. on that? So I think with the the ritual cleanliness and the ceremonial cleanliness where they had taken it so far um, as to accuse Jesus and his disciples of, you know, being unclean, I think he really brings to light the issue down in verse 16 and 17 of Matthew 15. Um well, 17 and through the rest, he says, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. Mm. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So there you go. Yeah. I think really this tradition that became so forefront in their, you know, culture in their, in their culture yeah. it i honestly believe that there was a bit of prejudice in there because they were accusing jesus of being unclean because of the people because who of he who was he was associating yeah. with and right. so they accused him you know they don't you don't wash your hands before you eat so how can you you know be worshiping god and coming into the temple and you're not clean but he's saying are you know are you so dull right. I mean, what you guys are doing sure your hands are clean but your hearts are not clean right and so it, they established a tradition that 
made, made them, them look better, made them look more but, clean, but they, more were pure, but they were further from the command than the they could ever have been. Sure, sure. So, so, so going back to what Stephen said, and that's really good, Morgan, because 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 the truth that Jesus is dealing with is an eternal commandment, like a truth of what Jesus confronts them with, right? Because they had elevated this tradition, and by their obedience to this tradition of trying to make themselves look pure in a certain way, they actually had failed in being obedient to the Word of God, and that made this tradition. Uh, uh, void and so, 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 truth is eternal, mm-hmm. and I think as I think about tradition, that tradition evolves, tradition changes uh, over time. It's um, you know as we think about it, how how do these traditions, and not just the tradition that Jesus was confronting in his day, but the traditions that that we in the church have to guard against? How mm-hmm. how do these things come to be uh, as a tradition? You know, I think it's just. When you see somebody doing something a certain way and maybe there's not a, a, you know, a questioning of why and it's just the way we do it. And so that's how it's done. It makes me think of that story earlier that I told you guys that, but, um, you know, just... What is that? Because people are not going to know this uh, yeah. now. now. You, you said like it, I, now I you have, have to, to tell it. So, so we... I, yeah, this, there's this uh, kind of a joke um, and it's about this little girl who was watching her mom make her great grandmother's recipe for pot roast and at uh-huh. the very end before she put it in the stove she cut off the front end and the back end and she said mom why'd you do that she said well that's just the way it's supposed to be it's the way we've always done i learned from your grandmother that way so the little girl was not satisfied with that answer she went to her grandmother and said grandma why did mom cut off the ends of the pot roast before she put it in the oven she said well that's the way it's supposed to be that's how i was taught from my mother so she still wasn't satisfied with the answer and finally went to her great-grandma and said, Great-grandma, why on earth does my grandma and my mom cut off the ends of the pot roast before it goes in the oven? She said, Well, when I was very small, we had a very small oven. So my mom had to cut off the front end of the back end of the pot roast to put it in so it would fit. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we need a simple thing. Yeah, yeah, we need something like that. But, but it is. It's, yeah, you gotcha. know, there's not enough questioning of why right. this is necessary. And sometimes we just do it because that's what's comfortable and it's the way it's been done. It was a, it was a habit, yeah. maybe, that mm-hmm. became a custom, that became something that we, we esteem very highly. Um, yeah, and... And like the the idea here is that we're kind of going to see flow out through this entire thing is that when tradition conflicts with God's word, that's where the tension happens, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, tradition in and of itself might not be a bad thing. Like she had a small oven, right? She had to fit the cake in the oven in order to get it to go. But the grandma didn't have a small oven. The mom didn't have a small oven. And so they're emptily following this tradition for no good reason, and it's making them ineffective. And so when that happens, that's where the rubber meets the road, and you have to be willing to confront your own tradition and be like, I don't think that this is working out too well, you know? Yeah. <laughs> tradition itself is not inherently evil, but it if it's put elevated in the place where it really becomes law, becomes this commandment, becomes this, this is how it has to be, uh, this cause, because this is the way it's always been, mm-hmm. uh, then, then we need to really guard against that because um, making traditions commandments or making commandments traditions, we must guard against both of those things, mm-hmm. right? It's not just we got to guard against taking this tradition that we elevate it to a commandment. We need to be careful that we don't take the true commandments of the Word of God and turn them into just a tradition. Like we, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's more subjective. It's more, um, it, it varies from custom to custom, from place to place. Yeah, tra- uh, traditions 
not found in God's word. So something that has not been handed down from God's word is subjective. Mm -hmm. Only God's word is objective. And experience is a positive, right? Like I am here today and you probably are the same because of experiences that we have had. Um, With my job, I work with youth in a way that I was taught by my youth pastor. And so I'm taking much of what I've experienced. However, there's things that I might have found now with the change in culture daily where I'll see something that I'm doing and I'll be like, that experience maybe is not effective anymore and I maybe need to change that. Well, that's a subjective. However, the way that I teach from God's word specifically and we present God's word to people, that's something I'm not going to change because I have a biblical conviction on that and yeah. that's a good and positive experience. All right. So as, as, we, as we think about what we've been talking about here, then how do we see uh, traditions popping up today? Because I, I would probably say if you if you talk about something with people, they don't want to call their uh, habit, their thing that they've kind of esteemed to be a tradition, right? But as I think about what do people kind of say that may be revealed to people, that's been more of a tradition than you would think. Um, what are some things you think about people say that kind of might clue you into how they view that? Well, I mean, I think of like just culturally um where we live at right um like in country america versus urban america there's different traditions there's different experiences right and so like i know like something i've mentioned before is there's in in country america and i was raised in country america okay so i can say this <laughs> and i am allowed yeah, country, country, i've never heard of country am, america it's easier to say than rural i am rural america really country people can't say rural. i'm just kidding I'm we can say it. rural <laughs> rural america it sounds better when i say country anyway <laughs> country i can say it because i'm a country boy right okay, but right. There, okay. there's a there is a like this this idea of a standoffishness towards like outsiders mm-hmm. right and it's because there's a distrust well why well, somewhere along the way, <laughs> there was a bad experience with the family of those people that are in the country. It just happens, right? And there's stories that run throughout families. I know in my family, there's stories of how maybe somebody had wronged so-and-so in the family, right? And so there's a distrust there. So if somebody from the city comes out to the country, <laughs> there's just this ultimate distrust of them. Why? Well, there's a tradition in the country that city folk might not work well with you or they might try and take advantage of you or they might do this because they're an outsider right Hmm. well what is that that's a tradition is that true no that is not true that's a broad brushing statement right okay and i think that there's like different traditions and culture like that that's just like a silly little explanation of like a minor one but i think it can go even into the way that you relate with people the way you view people the way you act towards people it can be a tradition of dress it can be a tradition of i mean fill in the blank what you eat I mean, Southern style food, right? Yeah. That's a tradition. Why? Well, because it tastes good. <laughs> well, and I think even the phrasing, how people, you know, I mean, I was raised in country America too. How, um, you know, the way people will phrase it, they never say, oh, that's just our tradition. They'll say, well, we don't do that here. That's not the way we are raised. You know, that's just not what we do here. Hmm. What those other people or do. Or this know? is the way that we, this is Yeah, the, or that's just That's the just way, what we do. That's this, just what we that's do. Just what and we that's, that's what the way do. it is. <laughs> I think about, uh, I've heard this a number of times in the church, uh, pastoring, um, you you know, something changes, something happens differently, and somebody will say, well, that's just not the way we've always done that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's not the way we've always done that. Well, what do they mean? That's that's the tradition that we've always held to. We've always esteemed this or done this in a certain way. And and so let's think about now, 
some instances where tradition has kind of superseded scripture. Mm. Uh, modern day examples, uh, historical examples. Um, yeah. So in history, I really see this like happening um, throughout the Catholic church and its beginnings and then how it kind of morphed um, midway through like in the, I would say probably turn of the century and into even like the 13 and 1400s and where they developed a way of doing things that when we look at scripture, when I look at scripture, I won't say we, cause I'm not you, but when I look at scripture, I'm like, well, why did that happen? You know, so um, the way that they would practice their confirmation or baptism or things like this, where it's just like, well, where in scripture do you see that? You know, like, how do you take that principle and put that into scripture? You know, like, for instance, um, the celibacy of their priests, right? Like, where, where do you see that in scripture? Where do you see that someone who is ministering on behalf of God cannot Mary, you know, mm -hmm. things like that, that are traditions, but that they have made more of a scriptural like right. And this has to happen, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I think you could say the same uh, in our Baptist circles as well. I mean, if we, if we don't want to look outside, we can look inside. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like Catawba is a Catawba Valley Baptist church, right? So it's a Baptist church. Well, how have Baptists had traditions? Well, I mean, it depends on what side of the fence you're on, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> Southern Baptists, they have this Southern traditional way of doing things. You kind of referenced it earlier. Right. Yeah. Um, and then if you want to talk maybe like an independent Baptist, well, they're known for having this tradition of, you know, like being all put together and having, you know, like everything right down the line and the way that they do it. And so tradition, um, supersedes scripture when I make an idol out of it. Mm -hmm. And so when I say this is the way it has to be done and I don't have a scripture and verse, but I'm going to idolize this, that's when it becomes a problem. So whether it's a um, translation preference of the Bible, well, it's, we've always read out of this translation. Okay, well, that's that's great. But let, let's talk about the scriptural reasoning behind why you read out of that translation. If you can give me scriptural reasoning, let's talk. But just because you've always read out of that translation of the Bible, that's not going to cut it because that's a tradition. If you say, well, that's just what we've always Doesn't done, mean you know, the only right one. <laughs> we've always had that pulpit up there. OK, well, that's great. But like, <laughs> why have you always had that pulpit up there? You know, is there some holy significance to it or do you just like the way it looks? I think some other dangers of tradition superseding scripture that I have you know, seen in our own Baptist circles and not necessarily from our church, but people I've known and testimonies I've heard is the act of baptism has sometimes been linked to tradition rather than its significance in a person's life with Christ. Instead of being a symbol of conversion for some people who've grown up in Baptist circles, it has been their conversion. So mm. talking to people who, after getting to know them, becoming aware of wow, I really don't think they have a relationship with Christ, but yet they say, oh, I was baptized when I was four years old. So that was my salvation. And so that's an instance where tradition has been put in place of a knowledge of scripture. And, and I think tradition can lead to this biblical illiteracy because people, mm -hmm. instead of looking to scripture, they're looking to the, to the traditions that they've been taught. So even in the things we understand the, theologically, they're to the teaching traditions can really be 
you know, skewed in the perspective of the person who was teaching instead of what the Bible says. You're reading your own tradition into scripture. So then that's what's passed down. And that's very, I mean, I think that's a tragedy. No, that's so good because I agree with that. I think what can easily happen is that we get so accustomed to doing things a certain way or seeing things operate in a certain way or even uh, happen in a certain way that that we begin to look at that and people may not have studied scripture they may not have like you're saying be uh, they're illiterate in what the truth of scripture that they know because they're they're not basing their conviction in scripture they're basing it in what they've seen yeah. and what they've seen played out um, I'll give you an example where I see this I think in Baptist circles is um, growing up in as we observe the Lord's table mm-hmm. right and, and if we're not careful, as I've grown up, I have seen in churches that we will take that time of communion and it will almost be turned into a ritual that it has to be done in a certain way, in, in a certain phraseology, in, in a certain response to where we have to pray over both elements. We can't just pray over them together as one. We have to have separate prayers and you have I'm, to I'm a, put a cloth over the elements. I'm and you just have to fold it the right way. I'm, I'm just and, saying, there's there's yeah. there's things like that that we we you know we they, it was done and then but now over a period of time after doing it, it's like well if we do that any different, like if if folks have to come forward to receive communion or if or if we're gonna have family style communion or if or if we're gonna do something different like that, it's just it's earth shattering to people, you know, because they're like I, I've I've not I've not seen that like I've not I've not experienced that, mm-hmm. but but what's happened is maybe we can wrongly elevate a practice. Right over the truth of what's being communicated in communion. And so, you know, that's something I've been thinking about recently. Like, as we think about the Lord's table and coming together, what what is symbolized in that moment is the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. It's the unity of the church. It's the fellowship of the church. It's this oneness that in Christ, uh, it, it doesn't matter your background or where you came from or, or the color of your skin or where you what you look like or or your education. It, in Christ, we are one in Jesus Christ, and, and and communion is to be a really this manifestation of that unity in Christ. But what yeah. can easily happen is we we observe communion in the ritual of what we've always done, and and we get more wrapped up in in the process or how it looks or what we're saying mm-hmm. than what it means. Yeah. And and coming into that moment, realizing this is what this this illustrates. So, so how do we know then what tradition we keep and what tradition we turn loose? It comes back to being biblically literate and yeah, understanding I mean, what Scripture says. It seems really simple to me. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> maybe we're simplifying. Simple, but but I, maybe we're but simplifying. I think it too maybe much. we are yeah. simplifying it too much here. I think we need to take a little minute and and say okay. How do you really understand what is a tradition you keep versus what is something you turn loose? Well, it's, it's what we've been talking about through this entire mini-series. Whether it was emotionalism, rationalism, or now traditionalism, we run it through the filter of God's Word. And so if it cannot pass through God's Word and be biblically founded, then it is not wrong to cut certain things. And so, like, for instance, like... I mean, and we're, we're going to bring up some specific scriptures here in just a second, but just like at the outset, if you can run something through God's word and it's not found in scripture, but it's not against scripture, I think that that's where people get caught up a lot of times of like, well, what do I do now? You know, cause I can't find a chapter and verse that says this is a good idea. So maybe it's music style or translation preference. What we were talking about earlier, there's not a chapter and verse. So how do I figure it out? 
And then I truly believe that you have to come up with more principles and effectiveness too. You have to ask yourself and ask yourself the really hard question, is this effective? Is this truly effective? And if you can't answer that question, yes, then you should not have a problem with getting rid of it. Now, obviously, if you run your tradition through in God's word and it's not founded in God's word or it's against God's word, that's an easy one there because then that one can be canned instantly. Well, I, I think, I think though, we got to go a little deeper than that because I think, I think if we're not careful, we're simplifying it too much because um, I, I think if you talk to people uh, from different backgrounds or be- different traditions uh, in evangelical Christianity, they would probably say this is founded in Scripture in a certain way by how they've interpreted Scripture, uh, by how they've embraced uh, Scripture. And so I think it's, I think it's a little more challenging than that um, because what we're dealing with is we are dealing with history. Um, we're dealing with centuries of history. Uh, that the church has experienced and that the church has been in. So we, the question that I think is asking, okay, how do traditions come to be? And they are passed down, right? I mean, um, let's, let's take, for instance, let's, let's grapple with a scripture so that we can understand this better. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verse 15, all right? Because this is, this is I think, where Paul um, really helps us understand, okay, what is the difference between a tradition and a commandment in the way that we hold things? So he says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15, So brothers, stand firm, hold the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or letter. So he's writing to this church, and he's telling them to stand firm, hold fast to the traditions. Now, when he says that, and he, and he says the traditions, once again, not Scripture, he's not using that word, he says the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And so, of course, by letter, we would look at, okay, the, the, the epistles that Paul wrote, uh, the, the which scripture, would scripture, which would be, mm-hmm. but he's also talking about what was spoken and, and this oral tradition, what was the, the truth that was communicated as a tradition. So what is, what is, he, what is he saying there? When he uses that word tradition, is he saying the same thing that Jesus confronted the Pharisees about? Well, I don't think so, because when you think about the traditions that I believe Paul is referencing, I would say he's probably talking about baptism and the Lord's table, and none of those could be found in the scriptures that Jesus referenced because they were in the Old Testament, and that wasn't a teaching that took place then. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind is those type of traditions that were new, but were, you know, essential to being a part of the body of Christ. And this illustration is going to break down a little bit too, because he's an apostle. Sure. Thus, he's writing scripture and he is living out parts of new scripture, right? (laughs) And so not to say that Paul's spoken word is something that is just like completely divine and Paul was like deity. No, he wasn't, but he was a commissioned apostle. And so when he spoke, he was speaking out things that were, like you said, they weren't yet in writing. However, we do have them in writing now. Mm -hmm. I believe when Paul says traditions, he's literally referring to the way of doing things, the teachings about things. And I believe that none of Paul's traditions would have 
conflicted with God's word. The reason I believe that is because Paul also wrote Second Timothy, where he mm-hmm. says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's completely profitable, and it will literally make the man of God complete. And it's yeah. it's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and all these things. And so I believe that when Paul says traditions here, I believe every single one of Paul's traditions would have been scripturally founded, mm-hmm. especially now that we have the entire canon of scripture. Right. I think that his traditions would hold firm and be rooted in that. And based on the character and the teaching of Christ. That's mm-hmm. what it goes back to. He didn't just pull it up out of thin air or base it off even some of his own traditions as you know a previous Pharisee, so things like that. Yeah, because even Jesus in Matthew 15, the, what does he say? How does he define commandments? Well, it's the commandment of God. You've yeah. made the you've made the do, you've made the commandment of men that equal with the doctrine of God, right? So, what is the teaching that God has given? Well, how do we receive God's teaching? Well, through His Spirit, but also primarily through His Word that He's mm-hmm. given us, and how the Spirit interacts with His Word. Yeah. So when he says to stand firm and and hold to the traditions. I mean, he's, he's actually saying that you need to keep on doing this, mm-hmm. um, and hold fast to it. Right. So, um, I think about the gospel as like a baton that's passed from generation to generation and every generation receives that baton of the gospel, that body of truth, uh, the orthodoxy of truth that we're talking about. And, uh, the truth that's been passed down, right? The truth that, um, as as Paul, as he just talked about the Lord Jesus in the previous verse of what Paul had received, and then now what he passes down, these these traditions that he says were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And it's something that, that that truth is like this baton that gets passed down. And what we have to guard against as a generation is that we don't add to the gospel, or we don't add to the tradition, or we, we, we don't add to the truth by a man-made tradition, or we do not take away from it. Uh, because because what can happen is then we pass that down, and, and, and over time, I think we can see this played out in the Catholic Church, as you referenced, that over time, things began to be added to the core of the gospel. And so these traditions became more and more a part of the whole thing. So as it was just passed down, it's just, it, it, it accumulates with other things and accumulates with other things. And then you get to the point there where the Reformation takes place. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's like for the first time, all of these things were getting pulled off of the baton that had gotten attached to it that really were not the gospel. And, and so it's kind of this understanding then. So how do we, that my, that's my question today. How do we guard against not, adding to it how, how do how, how as you as we think about the way that the church is structured as we think about the way that the church operates as we think about the way that the church even expresses itself in worship how do we how do we guard it so much that we do not add man's tradition to the truth of God's word what are some things you guys think about I think when we um, get the desire the urge to change something we have to question our own motivation for, okay, why is it that we're wanting to change this? And I think many times it can come back to the comfort factor. Let's change this aspect of how we worship or this way we, you know, preach the gospel because it makes me a little bit more comfortable and it's more comfortable for the people who are receiving it. And I think that's how a lot of unnecessary and even harmful things get attached to that baton Hmm. that we then pass down. So, we water down by our preference, by our preferences and by our comfort level and um, and even to the exclusion of people who we wouldn't want in our insider club 
Because sometimes mm. I think tradition can make Christianity this thing where if you meet certain you requirements... You put up walls of division. Yes, and you have very narrow gates. Well, the, the gate is narrow that they enter through, but we shouldn't be the ones making it narrow because Christianity is not some exclusive club mm. that you have to have certain qualifications or merit to enter. It's exactly the opposite. And so any tradition that's going to put up walls to anyone coming to receive the gospel is is dangerous walls that we would put up yes because i think that, once again it's, it's going back to the truth of scripture i mean jesus talks about the gate is narrow it is narrow and 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 he made that the narrow gate i mean there's there yeah. is this aspect that if you come to jesus you come uh to him for who he is and and uh, you don't say the you, same and you don't say the same and, and god does change us so yeah uh, preference is a big one yeah preference is a big one for sure not to beat a dead horse but i mean it's scripture like, I mean, I know we've been saying it throughout and I've said it throughout, but it's scripture. And that might be a little simplistic in our rationalistic mindset in our modern day. But what you said earlier was so true. We live in a biblically illiterate society. And so people want to push back at the idea that scripture has what I need. Scripture, uh, Calvin, we referenced Calvin the other mm-hmm. week when he said that scripture is like the spectacles that you, when, until you have it, you can't see God, mm-hmm. right? And so scripture must be the spectacles that we look at life through. It must be the filter through which we filter everything in our lives, including our traditions. Mm -hmm. And if our traditions can't meet the standard of God's word, they probably shouldn't be a tradition. (laughs) In fact, they definitely shouldn't be a tradition. And if they meet the standard of God's word, I think that that's when you have to have open and honest discussions with yourself personally and then with those around you of how effectively then does this support our mission? Because mm-hmm. we as Christians are called to be on mission for our God. We are commissioned. We are set, We have been commanded that as we go, we would be making disciples. We would be multiplying ourselves. And so if our traditions are not effectively supporting our mission, even though they might not be mentioned in Scripture as negative, then are they truly a positive thing? I would argue no, if so they you're do not on effectively a, support right. our mission. Yeah, so you're hitting on the effectiveness of what it is. The effectiveness of supporting our mission. Okay. Because I think effective is a subjective term because you can say, well, was that sure. song effective? No, not is that song effective, not is that not style even our effective. Mission. You're truly, f- is, it, is it effective in furthering God's mission? Exactly. Well, of... it's God's mission, but he's commissioned us. Yeah. That's when I say our mission. Yeah. He has literally made us responsible in the mission. Mm-hmm. And so it's God's kingdom. It's his but he's mission. the one who's drawn out the blueprint. He's the it's one who's, who's delineated yes. what this objective looks like. Yes. And so if 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 what we're doing is not furthering his mission and 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 his goal exactly of, of, of what needs to be happened in in the way that we worship and it could be anything whether it's the way we form our worship services, the way we we uh, do evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it's not reaching people for Christ and we've we've elevated this tradition that's actually hindering the gospel from going forward. I remember that uh, the church where I came to pastor at, that um, the pastor that I serve with, he used to say to me all the time, he says, Aaron, I want ministry to be as flexible as a dish rag. And I thought that was so good because he, he was like, we don't change the message, but we change the methods. And, yeah. and, 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 if, and if there's something that we're doing that is actually creating a roadblock to reach people that we've elevated as a tradition, then we need to be flexible to change that. 
and and realizing we're not changing the truth of God's word, we're not changing the call of of the gospel or the message of the gospel, but but realizing that that um, as as things change, as as people change, uh, that the church needs to uh, not be out of touch with. Um, society and the way that culture is working. So it's an effective thing. It's a preference thing. I also think something we haven't brought up is an aspect of church history. Um, We do not do um, really our Bible study in isolation. We do it within the um, community of the local church, which has been uh, really built upon this passing of baton over centuries. Mm -hmm. And what we got to guard against is that we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There can be a real reaction against what the church previous generations have done before us. And so we, we want to overreact to what was done without really understanding there, there is this Christian tradition of church history, it's it's it goes back to that quote you brought up the other week that uh, that that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Yeah, and those it's who like don't learn from it. But there's this other aspect of it that that those who do know history are doomed to watch everybody else repeat it. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like we there there is an aspect where the church is illiterate today in not only its understanding of the biblical text of Scripture itself. But I think in many aspects, we're ignorant of our history. Mm-hmm. We're ignorant of even our heritage um, as, as Christians, of people who came before us and, and issues that were addressed in other centuries. And, you know, it's, it, we, we kind of want to grapple with things today as like they're all new ideas, new thoughts. And that's actually not true. Mm-hmm. You, you go back in history and, and, and well-meaning Christians have had to deal with these issues in, in different ways and in different times. And, yeah, the, the situation may not look to have been exactly the same, but the core conviction that maybe was being discussed um, was coming up. And so... Um, so what is then, as we kind of kind of wrap this up then, what is the difference between tradition and kind of maybe orthodoxy, which we would think about being kind of this body of truth? Um, yeah, so orthodoxy is body, I love what you just said, body of truth. Um, another way of it is the handed down way, right? So it takes into effect the historical sense of the church, which you just brought up, but orthodoxy is also founded in God's word. Uh, God's word is the source of truth. And I think if we get away from that, then we've lost all of our moorings as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Like if we, if we give into that, then that's where our society has gone wrong. That's why people are biblically illiterate because they don't believe God's word is truth. They've lost confidence in the word of God. Exactly. Yeah. So orthodoxy takes into effect the historical, right? but it is also founded in God's word. So it's a both and. Mm. And if the history doesn't match God's word, okay, well, that (laughs) no longer is orthodoxy, right? But it's the history that matches up with God's word that's been handed down. That's good. Mm -hmm. And I think that tradition focuses on the history at whatever expense of God's word is there. So it doesn't really take into account God's word. It's more of just a focus on what have we done experience what have i seen sure and that's where tradition can go wrong because it doesn't necessarily found itself in god's word Mm, that's good yeah i think it i think Stephen really nailed it on the head and going back to matthew 15 that's that's what jesus said too you know he said you're they worship me and quoting isaiah they worship me in vain and their teachings are merely human rules that's the niv translation and it breaks it down pretty simply when um i the major difference is tradition is merely human rules no matter how good or bad the tradition it's just a human rule whereas orthodoxy 
is tradition with God's intent and his teaching behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think as we like start segueing into like here, like where does the rubber meet the road? Right. Cause I think that that's what everybody's asking now is like, where does the rubber meet the road in my life? I believe that personally, before we ever look at like our church and corporately and all these things, we have to start with us. Mm -hmm. You know, like we live in a culture that is so let's look outside and help everyone else with their problem. So let's go do this or do that or be here or be this or react to this or react to that. And uh, that's why social media is a blessing and a curse because social media gives people the platform to air out all their offenses with everybody else, right? But the danger of our culture right now with that is we fail to look at ourselves. Yeah. And this point starts with us. This point starts with me. And so as I'm applying this in my life, I have to be looking into God's word, the mirror. Uh, James refers to God's word as a mirror, right? And so I have to look into God's word as a mirror and I have to check and see what is informing my faith. What, how is tradition informing my faith? How is my tradition, not our tradition, mm -hmm. not their tradition, how is my tradition informing my faith? What am I relying on? Am I relying on a subjective or an objective source of truth? Mm -hmm. Objective source of truth being God's word, subjective being experience or tradition or and, my feelings or what I've or feelings and yeah and or what I think rationalism right mm -hmm. and I have to be able to answer these things honestly and then how do I how do I come out of this well the application is that I would realign myself with God's word right because God's will is found in his word and so if I want to see true worship happening in my life well I need to align myself with how God's explained it to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, John 4 uh, kind of wraps this up in a good way. Uh, Jesus is there interacting with the woman at the well. And you have all of these characters in John 4 that kind of embrace these different type of perspectives. You have this woman that uh, had been steeped in this type of Samaritan tradition. Our fathers worshipped uh, Our fathers worshipped yeah. in this way. They did it this way. And you're saying this, Jesus, but this is what I'm used to. This is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. um, so she kind of represents that aspect of tradition. Uh, you got the disciples there that are just uh, really emotionally responding to how Jesus is interacting with this woman. They're, they do not they're, like they're actually, the they don't say anything at one point because they're shocked. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then, and then they, yeah, what, like what you were saying. Yeah. On top of being a woman, she was a Samaritan and they right. say, you know, Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Yeah. Big time racial bias. Oh, yes. They did. Big and time racial based bias. Based off of how they felt, based mm -hmm. off of how they felt and, and what, what they had, you know, grown up hearing and, 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 and that bias that they had mm, built, yeah. uh, what they had built. And then you have the Pharisees there that become these self-righteous, <laughs> rationalistic thinkers that... Very put um, together. They had yeah. everything. They had every all answer for every reason. Everything was right. Right. Yep. And, and you see that, okay, you have all of this coming together, but then you see Jesus's response uh, to all of those people. You see his response to the Pharisees. You see his response to the disciples and to the woman and what I take away there is what Jesus says in John 4, that those who worship God worship God in spirit mm. and in truth. Mm -hmm. So good. And, and, and that's where I think we want to show that all of these things that we've been talking about for the mini-series, tradition's important. I mean, um, 
it, it's it's not like Christianity uh, began a few weeks back. You know, it's yeah. um, the truth of God's word and and the Church of Jesus Christ has been around for centuries. And, um, and they've been building upon this foundation that was laid by Christ and then the apostles and then the church fathers. And this, and this truth has been passed down and, and the church, we are, we are continuing to uh, build upon those who have laid a foundation behind us. And so it's not throwing out, uh, you know, the baby with the bathwater of Mm -hmm. just what we've experienced and, and how we've grown up, but it's realizing why, why do we do those things? And before we're tempted just to to let go of a tradition, we need to really ask the question, mm-hmm. like you were asking, why was it there? Why do we do that? And and to really understand it both biblically from Scripture and historically, and and it, you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. They need to be there together in that aspect of dealing with tradition. And then, um, and so I see all of these things personally. I see tradition and emotion and reason being some underlying pillars of how we think through things. And they should be. They and in are. no ways was this miniseries supposed to be like a war against emotion, reason, and tradition. Because no. those three things have been given to us by God. God created us as emotional beings, mm. rational beings, and beings who would look through history and hand down things because mm-hmm. of teaching, right? He commanded the fathers to teach their children. Yeah. So God has given us all of these things, and they should inform our faith. They should affect our worship to an extent. But they should help inform it. They should. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying is the foundational informant of our worship and our faith and our lives is God's word. It's God and his word, mm-hmm. his spirit that he's given to us and put inside of us, and primarily the truth that he has given to us in written form. That's mm-hmm. good. And if we can't if we can't build our other informants off of that, right, and as a way that the God's word is supporting everything, then that's where the structure will fall down mm-hmm. or it'll become ineffective. Yeah. And so I think my takeaway is I've, as I kind of think about all that we've discussed is when I think about an issue and how I'm going to respond to that as a Christian, I need to use these things as kind of a grid to think through how I will respond to that. So not what do I feel about that? Mm-hmm. What is not, what was my first subjective feeling? But, but to understand that, that God did create us with emotion mm-hmm. and, and, and while emotions are not facts, as we've talked about, they, they do help, um, reveal things, uh, in They're a certain guideposts. way. I mean, <laughs> Jesus said you worship in spirit and in mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, there's this aspect that my emotions, um, although are skewed and are corrupted by fleshly desires, God did create us with emotion. And then I need to think about an issue logically mm-hmm. and rationally and realize that the Christian faith is not illogical um, to understand what are, the, what are the arguments, what are the claims that Christianity makes mm-hmm. scripturally uh, about this issue. And then I need to do some really good homework mm-hmm. uh, in terms of history and think about, okay, well, then how did this come to be? And, and how does that measure up? Uh, with the Word of God, as you've been yeah. talking about. Morgan, what, what's your takeaway from this mini-series that we've been on exploration on the past couple of weeks? <laughs> I think the major thing that I come away with is how how all three of these things are supposed to make me a well-informed Christian. Hmm. Because like what you said, you can't have one without the other. You can't have tradition, emotion, and rational thinking in your worship without without any of the three. But what matters most is how you build those and measure them and balance them on the truth of God's word and on the truth of the, you know, 
solid rock of the traditions that have been passed down and how we react emotionally, how we think about it rationally. And it does take introspection and it takes diligence to do the work yourself because a tradition is dangerous because it can make you lazy. Um, and I've found that to be true in my own life. So with all three of them. And being willing to change when you see that you're yes, wrong. Because the, I think that's the thing too. Yeah. It's like realizing that, hey, when, when I measure myself up against some of these things, that that my thinking about something maybe needs to change. Mm-hmm. How I feel about something needs mm-hmm. to change. What, to what, I'm, yeah. what I'm choosing to do uh, might need to change. Yeah. And yeah. So, so we invite our listeners to join us personally, basically, yeah. as we put on the spectacles of God's mm-hmm. word, as we look into the mirror of God's word, and we invite you to join us in this humble, honest approach of looking at our lives personally. So we invite you to look at your life as we look at our life and to honestly assess our life before ever going to our church, before ever going to this group or that group. Let's look inward first and let's assess our own lives through the filter of God's word. And then we can talk about the other issues. Hey, we appreciate that you've been listening to Where We Land today. Uh, we are found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a number of other places where all good podcasts are found. And we'd encourage you, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, to go and rate and review our podcast so we can get this message out to more folks. Well, thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we would love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at catawbavalleybc.org. On our next episode, we'll be discussing the gospel through an American lens. We look forward to having you join us there next time.